Our passage this morning is Exodus chapter 35. As you know, we are moving through the story of Moses found in Exodus. And it's, it's a trajectory that really matches a lot of what we find in all of creation, right? God created us in the garden, and we were, everything was perfect. And then we had the fall, and he had a plan of redemption. And that's, that's our background music. And this plan of redemption is Jesus. And that's what we're looking at even here in Exodus. We're seeing a microcosm of that larger picture, that, that Israel was trapped in Egypt. They were in slavery, and God rescued them and brought them out of, of, of Egypt. And what we're finding in these last chapters of Exodus is the point behind the story, and that is worship. We're seeing Exodus, most of us know that they, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness. But Exodus ends on an upswing, the tabernacle and worship. That the very God who last week we learned is seeking, is showing his glory to Moses, longs to show you and I his glory. And he does that through worship, through ordinary worship. Some of you might say through boring worship. Hopefully you wouldn't say that. But ordinary worship. And so I hope this morning, no matter how boring you think worship is, maybe, here's my goal, you'll see how God is glorified and magnified in our worship. Specifically at Grace, by the way. Thank you, Brian, and worship team. Okay, that's what we're looking at, Exodus 35. So, if you'll look at, if you'll turn there in your book, or your book, your Bible, or your phone, or your mind and memory, uh, we'll start at verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent, and its coverings, its hooks, and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the ark with the pole, its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles, and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also, the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords. It, it's like an instruction book. You know, you get the instructions out and you're like, I hope it's all there. God is very detailed and it's actually very beautiful when you look closely at it. Look at verse 19. The finely worked garments for ministering the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron and the priest, and the garments for, of his sons for the service of the priests. And then at verse 20, check out the response. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, 
and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns for fine, or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins, but they brought them. Verse 24. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood and of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This was the second runner-up for the uh, shout-out Sunday verse. And uh, we went with the first John, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, indeed the details seem foreign to us. We, we, we read this and wonder how could it have any application today. But Lord, we know that your spirit present there at the building of the original tabernacle is the very spirit who dwells with us today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see how beautiful it is that we are called to worship you and that you are both calling us to worship and yet also honored by our worship. I pray that would make more sense to us this morning as we go forward in our walk with you. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Many of you have heard the somewhat parable, I think it's a parable of some kind, uh, of, of the man who, during the flood, prayed that God would rescue him. As the waters rose, the canoe came by. Have you heard the story? And the friend said, hop in. And he said, no, no, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And the waters continued to rise, almost to the level of windows and pouring into the house. And a motorboat comes by. And they're saying, come on in, get in with us. And he said, no, no, I'm waiting for God. He'll rescue us, or he'll rescue me. And they went their way. Finally, the waters rose so high, he had to go out and on his roof and cling to his chimney. And a Coast Guard helicopter shows up, drops the, the, the ladder, yells out of the mag- megaphone, right? You know, get on, get on, we'll rescue you. And he said, no, no, I'm waiting for God. And he waves them off, and they have to leave. And then he dies, sadly, in the flood. And he goes to heaven. This is why you know it's fiction, because we don't know what happens there. And the man asked God, why didn't you rescue me? And God said, I did. I attempted three times to save you, but each time you waved me off. Okay, it's kind of funny. You've all heard it before. How do you use that in a sermon? Well, we are wanting some sort of ex- just amazing, out-of-the-world deliverance often. And God is saying, I'm rescuing you through ordinary methods. And when we come to worship, sometimes we put that burden on worship and on our own walks with our own walk with God. How do we experience the glory of God? And what you find in this passage is we're seeing this transition where Moses was on a mountain, an unimaginable glory that he sees, and yet God is saying, "I'm bringing that to ordinary level earth, 
that everybody can experience. And so God is using ordinary means, ordinary ways to show his, his extraordinary glory. And our challenge is to be able to see that and walk with him in that. So we're going to look at three things. What does God use? He uses our ordinary stuff, our ordinary gifts, and our ordinary people. So here we are. If you remember last week, we just sang Rock of Ages. Moses is in a cleft of a rock on a mountain. And he's closer to God than anybody has been, geographically, if you will. Because this mountain really does emulate, scholars would say, the temple. Right? You have the people are outside or at the base of the mountain. So the Levites and many of the, of the priests get to move up a little bit closer. Aaron gets closer even still. But only Moses can go all the way to the top. And there he experiences God's glory by being hidden in the cleft of a rock. And what's amazing is, is this is all done after the golden calf episode. Remember the idolatry, the shock that the people abandoned God? And God's saying, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to go with you. I'm still redeeming you. And he does so by showing Moses his glory. Moses comes down the mountain, and his face is glowing. So bright that the Israelites had to have him veil his face. It was too bright. Showing like the moon shows the sun, the glory and the beauty of God. Then, right after that, it's time to make the, the tabernacle. Now, how many of you have studied the tabernacle? I'd love a show of hands. Show me who... Lo- I knew that was coming. I saw a couple of hands. So the rest of you are just waiting to hear all the details of the tabernacle. We'll go piece by piece by piece, right? That's what you're wanting? Okay, we're not doing that. What we are going to do is talk about how God uses ordinary things. If you look at verse 4, or ordinary stuff was the word I used, it says, Moses said to the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from among you. And then he names things, right? Gold and, and silver and bronze and blue and purple. And he names all of these elements that are going to go into the tabernacle. Now just a tiny bit of background. You have the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. From 21 to 24, you have certain civil laws. But from 25, chapter 25, to chapter 31, hang with me, Brent. We're going to get exciting, I promise. You have God describing in infinite detail, okay, not infinite, this tabernacle. And it's like this glorious thing. And Moses is coming off the mountain, and then guess what? The golden calf. So there's this huge break in this amazing description. And and the commentators, it's hilarious, they'll pick, because God, after the golden calf, picks up in 35 till 40, the tabernacle. And most of the commentators just write, see what I wrote over there. Like, don't, I'm not going to repeat what I wrote, because it's so similar. Why is God giving so much description to this? And and, and it's because he's showing that he has a plan. A plan to be glorified by us. And is using just ordinary things. And it doesn't sound like it's ordinary, but when you go down to verse 20, I believe it's 22, it says, so they came, both men and women. Remember, he asked for gold and bronze and silver and different elements like that. And it says, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects. So they knew exactly what God was asking for. And they went, if you, I love verse 20, they all departed. Moses says, here's what God needs. We're building a tabernacle. And they all say, we got it. Let's go. Let's go get it. And it reminds me of almost Monty Hall, you know. Let's make a deal. It's like, okay, does anybody have an egg in their purse? 
I've got an egg, you know. It's like, okay, we got that, we've got that. So they ran back and they just grabbed what they thought, there's purple yarn in this thing, and there's you know, blue in that, and they bring it to the Lord. They bring it back to the craftsman. They're bringing their ordinary stuff. Now, where did they get this? Where did they get their stuff? Right? From the Egyptians, is what most scholars would, would say, and it's, the Bible teaches, that as they were leaving after the Passover, remember that last plague where God said, I will strike down the firstborn of both, whether you're Israelite or you're Egyptian, it doesn't matter. If you don't have blood spread over the post, the firstborn is going. And, and indeed, the Egyptians lost their firstborn of livestock, but also their children. And they were finally like, just leave. We'll usher you out. We don't want you here. We're walking you out the door. In fact, hey, what do you want? You want some gold? They, they didn't plunder the Egyptians. The Egyptians were offering everything. Just take it and get out. Now, it's also possible that some of this was theirs over the 400 years they were in Egypt. They had accumulated wealth. This is a huge population of people um, who have gathered a ton of things for their own use. In fact, we saw this stuff used to build a golden calf, right? And we know that they had earrings and they had all of this jewelry going on in a sort of a pagan worship sense. So this is the ordinary stuff that God's choosing to use for his tabernacle. I find that to be a very amazing thought that, that he would take that. When you pick up an object and you take it to the Lord for the tabernacle, you knew where that object came from. And, and here's why I say that. I think we have this issue in our culture today to separate the sacred from the secular. Right? The sacred. The sacred is what we do here. You know, wait, we're in a, we're in a worship. Now, if this was like a really awesome looking building, you'd be like, I see what you're saying. But, you know, you have jump ropes and... Um, but yet, nonetheless, we still come in and go, but this is a sanctuary. We'll put a tablecloth here. And we, we treat it very importantly, and we should. But the problem is sometimes we don't see that same carryover into our everyday life. And I'll get to that in a moment, but I want that to be in your mind to think about how the ordinariness of something in our daily life to be extraordinary in worship might mean that it's extraordinary in our daily life as well. We'll get back to that. Because our second thought we're going to look at is how he uses our gifts, our ordinary gifts. One of the most fascinating things, and why I wanted to just focus on this first part of the tabernacle this morning, is to show how God is using his people to establish this tabernacle, this, this, this structure. And it says in verse 10, Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Now, sometimes the Bible gives you both sides of a view, right? You can see both God's view and man's view. Um, one example that I've, I've, I've often thought of is from Jonah, where it says, and God brought up a wind, a great wind. But from the sailor's perspective, it was just a storm, right? And we get to see that God ori- originated the storm. In the same way, when you read through these people, we didn't get all the way into um, Bezalel and Aholiab, but, but these are men that it says God put his spirit in them, spirit of intelligence and knowledge to be craftsmen. So you have this sort of behind-the-scenes picture that God has sent a spirit of wisdom into certain people to be craftsmen, okay? And if you're not careful, you could think, so these guys are like walking around with their sheep, and then Moses says, God's going to make some of you craftsmen, and boom, I'm a craftsman. That was amazing. But when you look at verse 20, going back a little bit before when he talks about those, or verse 10, it says, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. 
You get both sides. These people were craftsmen in Egypt. Isn't, think about that for a minute. In Egypt, they were doing the very thing that later God would use to make this most amazing structure where he would come to dwell with his people. I find that fascinating. Do you? I hope. You know, that part of the sermon where you're like, is this starting to get really good? No? Okay. They learned it while they were in slavery. They learned it at the hand of other men telling them what to do. They not only learned their skills, but they, they, got, they gathered these objects, and so you have their stuff and their skills being used for this tabernacle. And I just I want to again say that God is using your ordinary things for his glory. And I think when last week we talked about the glory of God, it sounded so foreign. It's like, how do we get that? And I want to encourage you, he knows your boring. He knows you are ordinary. He knows that your skills are what he needs and will use for his glory. Your life. So imagine a skilled craftsman making a chair for the sanctuary. And imagine that same craftsman later in the day making a chair for the smiths. It's the same activity. It's the same behavior. He doesn't go, well, this is for the smiths. I don't really care about that. He's do- he or she, the craftsman could be she. They're, they're doing this work for the glory of God either way. Imagine an object. You've, you've heard what Moses wants. It's a gigantic community. Uh, and you grab a brooch. By the way, I need to say this before I tell this illustration. In chapter 36, the craftsmen finally say, Moses, tell the people we have enough stuff. Verse, fi- verse 5 says, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded. In other words, we've got all we need. So you're that last person. You've got some, some armlet, and, and you're, you've taken your grandma's armlet. She agreed. And you show it up, and you're like, you present it. And in the whole walk, you're thinking, this is going to be part of the temple. This is going to be molded into something. And you get there, like, nah, we're good. we we got everything. And you walk away. Are you going to go put it under a glass? Almost used in the temple. No, it's just an armlet. You're going to keep wearing it. But yet, nonetheless, its purpose doesn't change. So is it more amazing when it's in the temple? Or is God saying, I use ordinary stuff. I use things. I created gold. The Egyptians didn't make gold. I made gold. I made it beautiful. I made it just scarce enough for you to really want more. God created that. And God created you and I for worship. And so I want to now move into this third idea, that he uses ordinary people. Um, we have this, if you go from Exodus, you and I are reading this like we're in a museum and we've never seen the artwork. The original audience would have known. It would be like someone saying, let me tell you how the Mona Lisa was painted. We all know immediately the Mona Lisa of Da Vinci. How was that painted? These people knew what worship was like. The original audience participated in liturgical worship and understood it. So when they read Exodus or they hear these stories, they, they're getting their biography of their story, their own history. And what I'm saying that for is because when you turn into Leviticus, you find right away how involved the people are in worship. I've been reading a book by James K.A. Smith. I recommend this book, but I don't recommend everything in it because I haven't fully vetted it, so it's like a movie. You know? It's good if you're of the right age. I recommend it. It's, on, it's called You Are What You Love. And he's talking about liturgy. Of life, he's saying, "Look, don't just look at like what you think. Look at what you do to find out what you love. What are the behaviors you're in? What are the 
processes of your life? What are the things that sort of betray maybe what you really love? And it's not a book about trying to bash you for all the wrong things at all. Rather, he's making the argument that our liturgies are really what shape us. He says a lot, you know, the, the, the old the philosophical concept that you are what you think uh, is not true. We don't change by just learning. We wish that were true, but that's not the only way we change. If I say to you, that isn't healthy, that donut's not good for you, but guess what's out there on the counter? Donuts. And every one of you will go, I, I understand there's trans fats and there's, you know, that's not good. I, I think I know what it happens when it goes into my belly, and it, but I want a donut, right? It, it's not the knowledge that changes. It's the liturgies. It's the habits. It's the patterns. And so what we find God doing with this tabernacle is he's bringing you and I into worship. And you'll notice if at Grace, if you're a visitor, you're really noticing it this morning, that you guys walk in and are immediately called upon to be involved in worship, right? I mean, our culture, what you would think you're going to do is sit at the back, the lights would dim, hey, we got this. The guy in the Hawaiian shirt, me, we're taking care of this. Just, just sit back and relax on a cruise, right? That's not how we do it. That's not how God does it. He says, you're actually coming in, and we're going to guide all of us in worshiping God. God is both the audience, he's being worshipped, but he's also the one providing the ability to worship through his son. And so we find that there's this liturgy we're taking us through. I'm not going to bore you with all the steps of what we do, but take up, for example, the call to worship. I mean, that's an awkward moment for me, to be honest. Everyone's enjoying themselves. Doug will tell you, too. We're like, hey, everybody, you're having a great time. Let's start worship, like, now, now. Like, how do we do that, right? And so we have this call to worship. But what's fascinating is I'm not calling us to worship. Doug isn't calling us. The worship team isn't calling us. Shane isn't calling us. God is calling us to worship. God is saying, I made you for worship. Let's go. It's he that is calling us to worship. And we have confidence. And we sing these praise songs. And then we come to this very odd moment that people ask me why we put it there, this confession of sin. And if you're new to grace, by the way, that's going to be one of the more awkward things. You're going to go, what? That's just such a downer. So here you have this, we're going to look at um, chapter 40 next week, but right when you move over to Leviticus, it really just blends in from Exodus. The very first thing you find, laws for burnt offerings. Okay, It's not, hey, come to the tent and kind of, have a little song, and we'll. Do it. You're about to take a. You're about to have a burnt offering, and what you're going to do is you're going to go find the most amazing animal in your in your pasture, and you're going to bring that animal to this brand new tabernacle. It's like, hey, welcome to the new tabernacle. Come on in. Bring your bull heifer or whatever you call a bull. Is a bull a heifer? Or is that separate? A heifer is a female. You bring your bull, but there are other sacrifices where you can bring a heifer. And I bet some people will try to, like, glue horns on, you know. This is really a bull. Okay. So you're walking into this temple, and imagine, like, you're thinking, this is brand new. This is the stuff, like, there's, there's grandma's yarn, and, and there's that brooch that got melted into that, you know. You're, this is something you've created or you've been part of. And you have this animal, and one of the first things that's going to happen is first the priest, who've been anointed, and they're in their clothing, and they're beautiful. They're going to walk over and it's really a fun moment because you get to kill your bull. And guess who gets to do it, according to Leviticus 1? You do. They look at your bull and they say, it's fine. This is worthy of, being an, of anointing you. And you're taking that knife 
and you're jabbing it into the throat of that bull. Isn't that fun? And blood is splattering all over you. And all of a sudden, that beautiful altar and basin is just being splattered with blood. Yesterday, Emily came out of our home office in our bedroom with ink on her face. Because I told her, if you just shake the ink and then put it back in, you can get a few more copies. But what was most surprising, We needed to laugh. What made it so amazing was she was laughing. She's just laughing. And it just reminded me as I thought of this image of the blood. As you're, you're, you're in this moment of joy in this tabernacle. God is finally dwelling with you. And you're killing this animal. And there's blood and you want to weep. But you want to laugh. Because you are worthy. Because the animal has been called worthy. And yet, here's what's crazy you remember that bull being born. If you're, I've never been, obviously I've never been in livestock, Dave. But you probably know when the bull's born, like, wow, that one's spotless. And you're torn, because you think that would probably bring some great trading. I don't know if they bartered or made cash. I don't know how it worked. But you also kind of know that might be the one that covers the sin. That's the one that's going to be for the anointing. And as it grows, you're watching it. And it becomes that bull that you take in to the the tabernacle for sacrifice. And you have this crazy mixture of ordinary and extraordinary, don't you? I want us to think about what the tabernacle represents. It's beautiful, it's glorious, it's opulent, it's pristine, but it's also a tent in the desert. Just sitting out there. Nothing like what Donald Trump would build. Right? And then you have Jesus. He's born as a baby. Just ordinary. Right? I mean, we try, oh, it's amazing, but he's crying in a manger. You have this amazing just contradiction of glorious from heaven, redemption, and, and just ordinary. And he grows up. And you know he's without sin, but even his own siblings don't realize who he is. So whatever's going on, they don't get it, right? And, and even when he goes into ministry and he starts calling disciples, one of them says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Ordinary, right? And yet this is the Jesus who this temple is pointing to, who dies on a cross a very ordinary criminal death. And that blood that's pouring from him is splashing on you. And so we come into Westwood Elementary with blood. Because I'll say this, if we don't have any blood, if we don't have Jesus' blood on us, this is just an elementary school. Welcome. Join us. There's blue mats on the wall. There's an H and an I and some jump rope. At our new building, it'll be opulent. Not so much. Our budget's very limited. It'll be a fellowship hall with a little stage and some hopefully nicer chairs. We're still working out the details. But if you don't have the blood of Christ, it's just a building. And this is just a bunch of steps for you. But if you have the blood of Christ, then this is your place to worship. You are brought in and you are acceptable. And you can worship him with boldness and laughter and joy, knowing that your sins are covered. But not because you did something special. See, they didn't walk in 
and the, and the priest say, I see the heifer, not the heifer, the bull. I see the bull, and it's acceptable. But what have you been doing lately? Tell me a little bit about your day. How was your, when you walked in, did you lie? Did you, did you look at some of your neighbors and think, I wish I had? Though that's important, no, the blood covers you. You are covered by Christ, and you can worship. So this sermon is a pointing to next week where we're going to look at God's glory coming in, but that glory will mean nothing to you if the blood of Christ means nothing to you. And the blood of Christ will mean nothing to you if you don't realize <clears throat> that you are not only ordinary, but you and I are broken apart from Christ. But with Christ, with his spirit dwelling in us, <clears throat> with salvation, with this meal we're about to celebrate, Shane's going to lead us through a, 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 just a beautiful sacrament showing that we are in union with Christ. <clears throat> we are not ordinary anymore. But we are extraordinary. I hope you will embrace the awkwardness of worship, knowing that Jesus is the reason we can do it. And that will, that will inform your daily living. You come here, we go through liturgy, we repent together, we sing together, we laugh together, we cry together. And you go out into the world and you carry that back with you. The Spirit is with you, and everything you do is worship. And everything in your house and in your life is set apart for Christ. That is my prayer. I'm going to just close with this thought. Imagine if you lived the life where everything you did and had, you in your mind and heart, had already set apart for Jesus. Then, when it came time to take it for the temple use, that would be great. It would be no problem to you at all, right? But as it stands, most of us are trying to live separate lives, sacred and secular. Here, we'll do our worship thing. Out there, we're doing our thing. And God is saying, bring them together. 